I don't want that to hold them back because coming out here alone, yeah, as you say, it is scary. And I pat myself on the back that I did it. <laughs> but you, you'll do it. If I can do it, anyone can. And it's it's a really good experience. And as I say, everyone's kind of in the same boat in that they're all new. They don't know the place. And you kind of band together in that sense. Like some of my closest friends now are Australians that have lived here for years or that have studied here. And, have, you know, so you do branch out and make other friends. I'm not just friends with like British people. And we sit around and drink tea and eat dairy milk. to Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stack. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Junior Doctors Corner, the first one for 2021. Hope everyone has had a good start to this year. Um, This episode is actually technically a re-release. We published and did the interview on IGTV, so on Instagram, and it was very highly popular. I interviewed Dr. Ambisud about her experience working in Australia as a UK doctor and the tips that she gave for working overseas as a doctor was absolutely valuable. Um, Even though right now with the COVID pandemic, we can't travel anywhere, but hopefully once the vaccines all roll out and, you know, things start to settle down and we'll be able to look at, you know, working overseas again, you will find this episode very handy to refer back to. This is a more concise version compared to the one on IGTV. If you really enjoy little stories and anecdotes, Dr. Ambisud told a few on the interview uh, on IGTV, but otherwise, um, I hope you enjoy this concise version of the interview. Welcome to Junior Doctors Corner. Thank you so much for joining me, Ambi. Thank you for having me. For the listeners of the podcast, can you please tell them a bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So my name is Ambi. The accent didn't give me away. I'm British. Um, I'm a PGY doctor. So I did my training in England at the University of Bristol. I did my medical degree and a Bachelor of Sciences degree as well. I did my kind of intern and JHO or SHO equivalent years in the UK. And then a couple of months after I finished those two years up, so they're called foundation years, I came out here and that was October 2015. You talked about being from the UK. Can you please share with us what brought you to Australia? And please don't say an airplane. <laughs> Tell us the story behind how well, you ended up at the land down under. So there's actually quite a few reasons. The first thing that I want to say is that I'd pretty much always planned on coming out to Australia after I finished my F1 and F2 year. It's quite a popular thing to do in the UK. So a sort of F3 year, as it's called. So a lot of my friends that were more senior doctors had done that and kind of raved about it and said how fun it was. And I'd see their pictures on Facebook and be like really jealous. In 2015, when I started work as a junior doctor, it was actually quite a negative time to be a doctor. And the contrast of it is quite strange because in the UK at the moment, with everything that's going on with COVID, I think the press coverage has been very 
largely positive towards doctors. You're having the, well, they're not doing it now, but the healthcare kind of minute where they clap for the NHS and all that sort of thing. But actually, when I was a doctor, there was a lot of dispute with our contracts. And the main thing that doctors didn't like is how unsafe this proposed contract was going to be to patient care. We were also going to be paid less, but that wasn't the main thing. The actual thing was less days off, working really horrible hours, less time off in between, night shifts, that sort of thing. And the press coverage at that time was very negative. So we were kind of billed as being very greedy, very money orientated. And that's obviously quite a contrast now where everyone's kind of raving about how fantastic and they are fantastic. (laughs) There's also really unfortunately a little spate of of doctor suicides in the UK, largely down to the fact that morale was very low, mental kind of well-being amongst doctors was quite low. And when I first started work, I was in a very supportive small hospital in like leafy countryside England. And then I moved to a bigger hospital for my J Ho or SHO year. And that was not a supportive hospital. Really felt quite alone and the sort of mental well-being of a lot of the doctors wasn't very well well looked after so I think those that combination of things was what kind of pushed me even further to leave and actually to be frank with you at the end of my f1 year that I loved I went to this new hospital and kind of a couple of months in I was thinking I don't want to do this anymore um and I saw things like grad schemes and actually getting out of medicine so I as you know I'm into beauty and fashion and things like that so I was looking at doing a a L'Oreal grad scheme of all things. So I kind of thought that my trip to Australia would be quite temporary. And it was almost a thing for me that I set in my head that if I don't enjoy my job, when I move to Australia, I'll either go back to England and do GP. And there's nothing wrong with GP. It wasn't that it was just that I didn't know anything about it and didn't really know if I wanted to do it at that time. So it was just sort of a fallback at that time, sort of wanting to go into it for the wrong reasons, really. As I say, it was meant to be temporary, and that was three years ago, and I'm still here. <laughs> so tell us a bit more about the transition, because you worked in the UK, and coming here, I'm sure there are uh, some differences. But firstly, what did you have to do to even get yourself here working as a doctor? Whether there are visas to sort out, how did you actually physically moved from one end of the world to this end of the world (laughs) and how did you set yourself up yeah of course there was a lot of challenges in that period uh the first challenge was getting a job (laughs) in the first instance as someone that hadn't done emergency medicine because that's what I do now and someone that hadn't worked in Australia hadn't gotten a plane to Australia hadn't visited Australia and had no and a lot of the hospitals wanted that off me so that was quite a challenge and I ended up getting my job at the hospital I worked in full-time up until quite recently that was quite a challenge in itself moving here alone was also quite challenging so I didn't come out with a group I'm gonna sound like a right loner now but I didn't come out with any friends or I um, didn't come out with a partner I just it was quite brave in hindsight really but I just and you've already touched on the visa difficulty oh my goodness the the visa there was a lot of hoop jumping a lot of paperwork a lot of getting things witnessed and signed and whatever lots of back and forth of documents over and over and the visa side of things delayed me starting quite significantly and he's actually a very good friend friend of mine now but the registrar that um did the roster at the original hospital that I worked at 
jokes with me now that he hated me because, because there were these two months where there was Ambi Sid on the roster and there was no Ambi Sid to fill the roster. So it's quite funny because we're very, very good friends now. But it just, yeah, all the things with the visa and then transferring my British registration over to an Australian one, so under APRA, that was another thing that required a whole other set of paperwork. But logistically speaking, I obviously got myself here on a plane, <laughs> but I had to save up quite a bit of money. Um, obviously, all, the, all these things cost money. And then getting out here, getting myself set up, getting a flat and paying a bond on that, all those things all cost quite a lot. And I didn't get paid for a while because payroll and all these things take time and just little things like shipping all my stuff over obviously all became quite the ordeal so packing and stuff but I had my mum to help me do a lot of that so that was good. So correct me if I'm wrong it it probably wasn't an easy feat trying to start your life here you know almost from scratch because you had to think about setting up a bank account and if you want to rent a place you had to prove that you could or you were going to have an income that's going to support paying the rent and, you know, purchasing a car and trying to get a driver's license converted. Did you have those come across those challenges? Oh, yeah. The main issue is the fact that I wasn't being paid and money was going out. (laughs) Um, And as you say, things like getting a car is you need money. When you go and get a car, they often want things like utility statements that you don't have because you haven't got anywhere to live yet because you're in an Airbnb as I was. Yeah, logistically, those sorts of things are quite difficult. But I think they're quite set up in Australia for people that are here on a working visa, doctors or not. And that made things a bit easier. Most people were quite understanding. But yeah, the transition of things like your driver's license, getting a bank account. I mean, I did that from the UK, actually, just to make things easier. So it was HSBC that just basically... Mm it all up in the UK, had my debit card ready to go when I got here. So that was just one less thing to do when I got here. Because actually, when you arrive, you've got your registration and all these other things that need to be set up and go and get your, you know, hospital badge photo and all those fun things done before you start. I brought uh, sort of two suitcases of my life (laughs) packed up in there. And then I ended up shipping stuff out. My mum came out maybe about a year into me being in and brought some more things. So gradually... I brought most of my stuff over. And how did your family feel about this when you made the decision to come to Australia? So my dad's a doctor, which was really helpful, actually. So he's obviously got a perspective of what it's like to work in the NHS, which is, which is frankly speaking, it's hard. It's, it's good, but it's hard. It has its flaws, like every healthcare system. So my dad was really, really positive. My mum was really positive as well, which was good. And they were very supportive of the fact that I wasn't really enjoying work in the UK. They'd prepared themselves in that I've been wanting to do it since medical school. Yeah, and my, my big brother is an accountant in the UK and, um, and he was really supportive as well. So obviously it's hard that I don't see them regularly. So they were great. They were really, really good. And they're supportive that I've stayed out here as well, which has been really fantastic because, as I say, it was kind of meant to be temporary. Well, that's really good to hear that you have the support of your family. And you did mention that you came out here all by yourself, which must have been really scary for you. And it was very brave of you to you know tackle this as a young woman. I'm just wondering if you had any friends already, you know, doing what you were going to do in Australia and were able to at least already have some connections and and some social support here in Australia, or did you work with nothing? 
Uh, I had a little bit of a bank of support in that a friend of mine that I went to secondary school with in the UK, who is now pediatrics trainee, um, she had worked in the hospital that I ended up getting a job in, which I didn't actually know until a couple of weeks before I moved to Australia, I, I messaged her. So she kind of gave me a couple of contacts in terms of areas to live in and that sort of thing um I was very lucky in the hospital that I worked in so a lot of the staff in that hospital in the emergency department which to say was where I ended up doing my work are British so it kind of meant you had this hub of people from home and that kind of hearing a British voice and like oh my gosh you're from England so <laughs> that was nice and people are very friendly and supportive and as particularly as say in that hospital the consultants and the other registrars and I was an SHO when I worked there but that made things a lot easier but yeah I mean I've stayed out here three years I've made a nice group of friends and and things so you you know everyone's starting from scratch in that sense even if they come out with someone and for people that are watching that perhaps are by themselves, maybe they don't have a partner, maybe their friends want to go straight into training or they, they're not keen on the Australian gap here. I don't I don't want that to hold them back because coming out here alone, yeah, as you say, it is scary. And I pat myself on the back that I did it. But you, you'll do it. If I can do it, anyone can. And it's, it's a really good experience. And as I say, everyone's kind of in the same boat in that they're all new they don't know the place and you kind of band together in that sense like some of my closest friends now are Australians that have lived here for years or that have studied here and you know so you do branch out and make other friends I'm not just friends with like British people and we sit around and drink tea and eat dairy milk you know so, <laughs> so yeah and so you already alluded to this uh, a little bit at the start what are the major differences um, between working in a in the NHS and working in Australia? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few. I didn't do emergency in the UK. So that's the first thing to say, obviously. I spent time in the emergency department because um, as a medical SHO in the UK, you sort of do the MedReg job that the MedRegs do here, where you're clerking in medical patients in the emergency department with the MedRegs supervision, obviously. The first thing to say, and this is not meant to discredit, all the things I'm going to say is not meant to discredit either healthcare system in any way, shape or form. But I think the perspective of busy as a British doctor is very different. (laughs) When you come onto nights and there's 10 to see and the first one is on a two hour wait, I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty good going. Whereas in the UK because because of my experience of the UK that would be great if there's an ED reg that listens to or watches this that's from the UK and they saw our lovely Edith screen of 10 patients where everyone's freaking out they would they would think that's a great shift (laughs) the other thing that it's worth saying is because of the fact that the UK is so busy you know coming on to people that are four five six hour waits in the height of winter is quite normal the workup of patients is very different. So in the UK, it is kind of like a triage service in that somebody will come in with abdominal pain and you kind of will turf them off to medics or surgeons depending on that basic examination, basic bloods. You won't be fiddling about with millions of CTs and all the things that we end up doing here. Because I think in Australia, we kind of work the patient up and then it's like where possible within the limits of patient care Tie it up with a nice bow, 
hello, surgical reg. Here is this patient with wrist pain that has CT-confirmed appendicitis. You know, that sort of thing. So it's a bit different in the UK because of the sheer volume of patients. Seeing multiple patients every hour is is expected rather than sort of one or two an hour, as an SHO might see here. As a result of that, I think, and also here it's very different with medical legal side of things. So imaging in the UK and the kind of reliance on imaging is is quite quite less I'd say so people having CTPAs and things from the ED is is quite uncommon whereas I feel like it is probably quite common here in comparison and I think as a result our kind of we kind of use our clinical acumen a little bit more and as I say it's not meant as a discredit but it just means that we're not we're, we're not relying so heavily we're kind of using our history and exam a little bit more because I think I was quite shocked when I got to Australia in terms of like every head injury gets a CT head kind of thing mm. and get that perspective of why am I doing a neuro exam then? Because they're going to get a scan. And I don't want to lose that NHS ethic of like the clinical acumen. So that's something that's quite different. You guys love your opioids. <laughs> I remember when I got to the hospital that I worked in, this nurse comes up to me on my second day or something with a chart to chart some pain relief. and was like, can I have some endone? And I'm thinking, what the flip is endone? I have no idea what this is. So I'm like, um, sorry, what's endone? She was staring at me like I was a complete alien because what is endone? I mean, now I know what endone is. But, you know, that that thing of opioids, we obviously use them you know, within reason. But, yeah, I wouldn't be whacking out an endone for a back pain that came straight into ET in the UK. <laughs> um, and I think there's a bit more of a sink or swim uh, attitude in the UK because of how busy it is so I think the protection of interns and things here is it's good in that they don't do nights and things in a lot of hospitals that I've worked in they'll kind of steadily build up their knowledge none of that in England baptism of fire um and I'm like this isn't meant to scare British people <laughs> and medical students watching being like oh my god it's just it's just the way it is in that in that it's just more busy and that's that's unfortunately part of it you do have to think on your feet quite a lot and now I look back and think of some of the stuff I was managing and doing and that the interns here probably wouldn't wouldn't have done at the same level um and I'm not saying that's a bad thing by any means but yeah as I say there's quite a few differences and I've adapted but there are things that I think interns in the UK could benefit from the learning from the interns here and vice versa. So, yeah. And you did say that you weren't really liking your job working as a doctor in the NHS. You were even considering changing to a completely different industry. And the fact that you're still here, I'm guessing you've now found something that you love in medicine? Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy emergency. I like I do like the aspect here of the workup of a patient and actually finding out often well, as I say, within the scopes of medical practice, but often finding out what's going on with them. It's been a learning curve. I've learned so much the last three years doing emergency here. I obviously learned a lot in the UK, but it's it's different doing emergency because of the breadth of stuff you're seeing. And my two years in the UK, I did jobs like ENT that are quite niche specialties. So that helped so, so much doing emergency. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy emergency do I want to do it forever? I'm back and forth. And we mentioned GP earlier. At the moment, I'm thinking maybe that might be something I want to do. 
um i'm quite into fitness and that sort of thing so maybe something along the lines of gp and sports medicine i used to want to be a dermatologist long ago um <laughs> but um i don't i don't know that i would um i don't know that that's for me now but i think probably gp emergency is kind of what i'm thinking at the moment right so it's a watch the space yeah it's a watch and wait and we'll see so can you give some of our junior doctors uh, advice for those who are interested in going overseas, whether it's going from Australia to UK or UK coming to Australia? What do you wish someone had told you, you know, what, what do you wish you had known before you set out on this journey? Of course, yeah. I think it's worth saying that I don't, I don't regret anything that's brought me out here. It's more, as you say, what would have perhaps benefited things or made things a bit easier. Um, the first thing is that not having any Australian contacts or work experience is something that I wish I'd kind of worked on. So for medical students that are, depends which way you're going, but COVID, COVID aside, um, when you get the chance to do your medical elective, I would say try and work in the country that you're thinking of going to. So if you're going from Australia to the UK, perhaps doing a medical elective in London or somewhere like that. And I do wish that in hindsight, I had perhaps done my medical elective in Australia. The thing with the Australian elective is that you have to organise them quite far in advance. So if you're from the UK, usually in your penultimate year of medical school, so you're organising it essentially a year and a bit ahead of when you're going to be going because they're quite competitive. They often want personal statements and all that sort of thing. I mean, I had a great medical elective. I went to the Caribbean. I sat on a beach. I drank rum. It was wonderful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would have had a very different elective if I'd have gone come to Australia. Certainly, but it might have opened doors to get jobs in places like Sydney and Melbourne. But as I say, hindsight is a funny thing, and it's worked out for the best. So, so yeah. The other thing to be mindful of is the way the years run. So UK junior doctors um, are kind of resident years, if you like, run from August to August. Resident years in Australia are January to January. So that just means that timing-wise, if you're a UK doctor who's finishing up as an SHO in August, say, of, of this year, or has gone now, you've just finished, you may have been able to work from January of the following year. And the resident campaigns for Australia run every June, so it just requires a bit thinking ahead you can get jobs that start a couple of months after so I ended up starting in November of 2017 having finished in August but if you want to think ahead and definitely have a job from the January that's what I'd say look for the resident campaigns from June and as I say Australian medical students are perhaps thinking ahead August to August is our dates it's worth looking early and just being mindful of the kind of stuff that's out there as well. Even, you know, in your F1 or intern year, just having a look to so that, you know, what kind of cities, what kind of posts, what kind of experience so that, you know, as I've already said, saving up is important because you may go a month or two without your first paycheck. And I would say for people that want to come to Australia specifically to start thinking about whether you want to stay relatively early. The reason being is that, um, permanent residency there's quite a wait list for it and a lot of the training colleges now want permanent residency so they don't want you here on a, a working visa they actually want you to be a resident of the country so if you're in Australia sorry if you're a British doctor that comes out to work in Australia you come out on a provisional practicing license that 
runs out and goes to a general license after one year and that's after you complete some assessments and things with supervisors that you work with and as I said earlier I think it's really important that if you're thinking about moving out here and perhaps you haven't got someone that you necessarily are going to come out with that that doesn't put you off because it's it's really worth doing even if it's for six months and you end up going back which my parents thought I might do so (laughs) I'm still here I think my dad was like she'll be back in three months and obviously I'm three years later so jokes on you dad and just to clarify a couple of things for your UK medical student listeners, uh, you didn't have to sit any kind of exam to convert your registration from UK to um, Australia. And also, how did you actually find a job? Did you Google? Did you go through a re- medical recruitment agency? Did you reach out to all the admin stuff of every little hospital you could find on the internet? Pretty much a combination of all the above. With the job search, I did Google. I Googled and I ended up on so many medical recruitment websites. So I don't actually, to be frank with you, because I applied for that many, I don't remember the one that I ended up getting the job through. I remember the ones that I didn't get the jobs through because quite a few hospitals said no outright because I hadn't got emergency work experience and or Australian work experience. The best thing that you can do though is exactly as you say, if you're looking to start at an awkward time of year where perhaps the resident campaign hasn't kicked in it's part way through a year reaching out to the hospital directly is is the smart way to go because otherwise you're going through through people who go through other people and it becomes a bit of a a chain if you know someone that's either working in australia or just going through the website giving them a call be mindful of the time difference but giving them a call and seeing if you can speak to somebody that's probably the best way to do it so from when you actually started actively looking for jobs and to when you landed your jobs, how long did it actually take you? So so my F2 year, which was August 2016, I started looking in maybe December, January, so around Christmas time, with a view to start as soon as possible in August 2017 when I finished my job. So I was I was getting really disheartened, actually, because I ended up sending through loads and loads of CVs and getting no's or getting nothing. And I was actually kind of on the verge of giving up and thinking, oh, well, maybe I'll just locum or I'll sit around and see what happens or do a grad scheme, as I already said. And I was about to fly to Mauritius on holiday and I got an email from the hospital that I worked in for two and a bit years and they said, oh, you know, we really liked your application. Um, we're sorry we've taken a while to get back to you, but do you think you could interview tomorrow? And I was going to fly to Mauritius that day. And I was like, oh, yes, okay. Quite awkward FaceTime where it was, I think it was midnight in the UK and I was due to fly at 5am or something like that. So we were going to go to the airport fairly imminently. And I had this awkward FaceTime of me in my pyjama bottoms on the bottom half and like a nice top. <laughs> And obviously it worked out and I ended up working there. But I think that was in June 2017. And within a couple of days, they wrote to me because I said to them, I'm going on holiday. I won't be able to do another interview or anything, but if you could email me and let me know. And within two days, they offered me a job. That was June 2017. And then with the various delays with the visa and things, I ended up flying out in October 2017. And then starting work I think it was the first of November or something so I was here for a little while before I actually started working so 
essentially it can take a while. And for those who do decide to go down this similar path, they shouldn't give up. It just takes a bit of time and persistence and patience. Persistence is key. And following up on emails and chasing things. And if you have direct phone numbers and things, I definitely recommend doing that within reason. Don't annoy people. But but um, yeah, it's definitely easier once you've got an actual name and a contact that you can speak to. So. so final question. Can you please name a couple of things that's keeping you sane in your crazy busy life at the moment, especially with COVID going on? What's you know, really helping you get get through these tough times, not being able to see family and all that. Of course. So I have, I definitely have a couple of things. So the main thing, so I listened to Izzy Smith's uh, podcast the other day, which was amazing. She's great. So if anyone hasn't listened to it, please go and listen. She's so funny. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, Fitness is huge for me. Really huge. So for me, I was not someone that enjoyed exercise a few years ago hated it absolutely hated it and sort of went to the gym and I'd be on my phone like holding the cross trainer (laughs) and not really working out properly and I've become a complete fitness nut since I moved to Australia it's spin that is my drug of choice with fitness um it is quite funny I did a a interview for the cycle studio that I cycle at in Brisbane called Inspire and the girl that did the interview with me is a really big Grey's Anatomy fan and she sort of was rolling the camera and doing this interview. And she said at the end, oh, you know, should we do a couple of questions about medicine and, and work? And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> it's my medicine-free sanctuary. And I don't want to talk about medicine. And I think that's something that, again, that Izzy mentioned, that as doctors, there's this expectation that medicine is everything. And for me, being a doctor is my job. It is not me. And it's not something that comes up in conversation with Joe Blogs that I meet in the street because it's just, it's one thing that is of many things about me. So fitness is a really, really big one for me and keeping fit and spin. I'm there every day. Good for my physical health, mental health. It's, it's just amazing. I absolutely love it. On the thread of interest outside of medicine, everything that you see on my Instagram. So the pink, the beauty, the shopping, the clothes. I'm a very girly girl, so I like all that sort of thing. And actually, when I was at medical school, I wrote a beauty blog, which nobody try and Google it. You will not find it. You also will not find my YouTube channel. (laughs) But I had these hobbies outside of medicine that were totally different from, from medicine. And I was actually told by a lot of seniors, female mainly, interestingly, that I shouldn't be doing, shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And I was told that I should present myself differently, came across a little bit dim. And this, these are quotes, this is not me. And you know what, that actually made me be like, no, I'm going to keep going. And I wrote my beauty blog up until my SHO year, and then it kind of fizzled out. And But COVID in the last month or two has kind of brought that side back out in me. So I've kind of started doing all the fashion and beauty stuff now. And it's been really fun. And the messages that I get off female medical students is really lovely because often they're like, oh, I'm often made to feel that I can't wear a great lipstick like you're wearing or I can't do all these sort of lovely feminine things and wear pretty clothes because I won't be taken seriously. And actually, I'm just like, no, we're, we're allowed to express ourselves. Just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you have to, you know, wear a white coat and 
glasses and a, you know a stethoscope around your neck you can express yourself through a great lipstick or a nice bit of highlight or a great outfit so I'm very much an advocate for interests outside of medicine I'm really glad that there's you you know in the social media space showing you know the world and other female medical students that hey you know just because I love makeup and I dress really nice doesn't mean that I have fewer brain cells than you know other doctors who don't do that yeah 100% it's not a reflection of me clinically I just like a nice look you know it's it doesn't mean that I'm a bad doctor or I just don't think these things bear any influence on you and your clinical practice and I think the old style of medicine of sort of men in their white coats is is very much something that we need to we need to get rid of and people need to embrace the things that they love it doesn't have to be lips it can be whatever you want but I think it's really important it's really important to keep that passion up for stuff outside of medicine because medicine is hard it's hard being a doctor and I think if I came home every day and posted hey guys here's impetigo and these are all the things that you treat like that's just not me and (laughs) that's not that is reflective of me as a person it would just be really fake for me to be doing that so for me posting that I like a Charlotte Tilbury lipstick or that I like this outfit is very real and I don't I don't think people want a doctor who just likes medicine well thank you so much for your time Ambie I'm sure our listeners are going to you know gain a lot of knowledge from your wisdom and advice from this so thank you so much for joining me on my podcast Thank you for having me. If you really liked that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.